Reach Freaks. Invisible Choir explores detailed depictions of violence and murder and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Thirty-one-year-old Kalamazoo Valley Community College student Ashley Young saw the positivity in everything and everyone to a fault. She was generous, caring, and giving of her time, money, and energy, even to those teetering near the fringes of society. And a chance encounter with an old friend in 2018 set into motion a series of tragic events that would ultimately lead to her disappearance and eventually to her murder. This time, an invisible choir. He knows if he ever got into a situation that he, he knows how to clean up blood and things like that. My daughter is missing. Nobody has heard from her. You just fucked me. Bro, delete all these messages. Friends and family reflect on Ashley Young's life and remember a young woman who was perpetually filled with excitement and optimism. Someone who shared that positive energy with anyone she could, every chance she got. Ashley Young was quick to forgive and always one to forget anytime someone took advantage of her. Close friends and relatives even called her naturally gullible at times, too kind for her own good. The boys and her family once sent her on a fool's errand to the store to purchase non-existent blinker fluid for her car when the bulb burned out. Everyone had a good laugh, including Ashley. It was in her very DNA to simply enjoy life and to do whatever she could for those around her to ensure they were enjoying themselves as well. As she entered into early adulthood, Ashley befriended a man two years her junior, Jared Chance of Holland, Michigan. The two had an on-again, off-again friendship, Ashley always offering up Jared a helping hand anytime his luck was down. But Jared Chance was trouble, and from a young age, he began establishing a lengthy criminal history, one that resulted in him spending time in and out of county jail as a result. He often fought with and assaulted his younger brother, Conrad, and was known to act bizarrely when under the influence of drugs or alcohol, which for him was fast becoming a daily occurrence. Around the spring of 2012, Jared broke into Ashley's apartment while she was away, stealing several of her personal possessions in the process. The break-in put a serious strain on Ashley's ability to trust Jared, enough so that the pair didn't speak to each other for six long years, until the fall of 2018, when a mutual friend suggested they reconnect on Facebook. Ashley's mother, Christine, was aware that the two old friends had started talking again and strongly advised her daughter not to reassociate herself with the man that she knew would bring nothing but hurt and disappointment back into her daughter's life. But Ashley, the kind, generous woman that she was, chose to see the positive in Jared Chance and remained in contact with the now 29-year-old despite her mother's wishes. Then on one cold November evening in 2018, Jared Chance likely under the influence of drugs and alcohol, lost control of his car, getting it stuck in a ditch near his Franklin Avenue apartment in Grand Rapids, Michigan. His younger brother Conrad was in town visiting, but had fallen fast asleep at his apartment, so he reached out to his old friend Ashley and asked for help. Without hesitation, Ashley got into her 2006 beige Ford Focus and drove the nearly 50 miles north from her apartment in Kalamazoo. It was the first time the two had likely seen each other in well over six years. It was another typical bizarre evening that Jared's younger brother Conrad would later reflect on. Conrad, did your brother, did, did your brother uh, have a gun? Yes. What kind of gun was it? It was a Smith & Wesson 22 caliber. Do you know the difference between a revolver and a well, a revolver has the circle thing, right? Cool. Yeah. Uh, revolver, there's typically seen in a Cowboys and Indian movie. Mm -hmm. Is that uh, what kind of your brother had? Yes. How many times have you seen your brother with that gun? 
uh, I don't remember how many. That night, when your brother and Ashley came home, the two of you were smoking weeds. Uh, did your brother take the time? Yeah. Where are you guys uh, at this point, like in the apartment? Oh, we are in the living room. Where was the gun? He had the gun. Uh, did he have it on him, or did he go get it? I don't remember if he went to get it or not, or how it came about. And Ashley's with you when the gun comes out? Oh, uh, yeah. She be able to see everything that's going on? Uh, yes. Sorry, yes. What did your brother do with the gun? He pointed it at me and pressed the, the um, clicking sound. Uh, you're making a motion like you're pulling the trigger. Yeah. Yeah. So he pointed the gun at you and he pulled the trigger. Did that hurt? Yeah. Do you remember how many times he pulled the trigger? No. After picking up Jared, Ashley drove them both back to his upstairs apartment at 922 Franklin Avenue, just southwest of the Grand Rapids East Town neighborhood. Jared and Conrad both smoked weed while Ashley hung out. Jared was acting bizarrely, at one point retrieving his 22 caliber revolver and aiming it directly at his brother's head, pulling the trigger several times, as if the entire thing was just a game. Do you remember how many times your brother pulled the trigger while he was pointing the gun at you? No. But you motioned multiple times that he pulled the trigger once or more than once? Just more than once. What was going on in the conversation that caused him to pull the gun out and pull, point it at you and pull the trigger multiple times? Uh, it, um, uh, I don't know. Do you remember what was being said? I don't remember. Uh, well, I know. Um, what were you guys talking about when your brother pulled this revolver out, pointed it at you, and pulled the trigger multiple times? It kind of just came out of nowhere. Was your brother, uh, was your brother angry at you? No. Uh, it, it, I believe it was playing around. It was playing around? Yeah. So it wasn't mad at you? No. Um, didn't say anything like, fuck you, I'm gonna kill you or anything like that. No. Your brother pulled the gun out, pulls, you know, points at you, pulls the trigger. Did he check the cylinder to see if it was loaded first? I'm assuming that it was on, it was not. I'm not asking you what you assume. Okay. My question to you is, did your brother check that gun to see if it was loaded before he pointed it at you and pulled the trigger multiple times? He, he didn't check it while in, in my eyesight. It was just another typical evening spent hanging out with Jared Chance. At their childhood home in Holland, Michigan, about a half hour west of Grand Rapids, the police had been called several times on the elder Chance brother for his repeated and often violent attacks against his younger brother, Conrad. On one occasion, Jared held a blowtorch to his younger brother's face, threatening to burn it off because he believed that Conrad had stolen a shipment of five pounds of cannabis that he was expecting from California. Police were called to their home over a dozen more times for such strange and at times extremely violent fights. But Jared Chance's new prop took things to a higher, potentially deadly place. The revolver, though small in caliber, was still a deadly weapon, and even Ashley scolded Jared that night before leaving for so recklessly pointing it at his younger brother. Jared had also displayed the gun on several other occasions in front of his downstairs neighbor, Mario Nelson, who regularly joined Jared upstairs to smoke weed. I don't remember exactly why I was up at his apartment, but during the time I was there, we were smoking weed. Um, and he had a 22 revolver, and I've like I've been around guns before. I was I had a gun charge when I was a juvenile. Um, but the gun is on the table, and 
he like he was doing other things in the apartment like I guess going in and out the refrigerator but like he just come back and he's like moving stuff on the table just that the gun is like in the barrel is like pointing towards me and I'm you know it, it just made me nervous cause I know what a gun is capable of you know what I'm saying and I know him but I don't know what he's capable of so you know and it was just it was just being touched a little too much for it. Mario also recalled how on another occasion, his upstairs neighbor Jared, still an acquaintance at best, bragged to him about knowing how to kill someone and how to effectively cover it up so that no one would ever find out who did it. This day I was up at his apartment and he was, I'm guessing he was drinking a little bit, but we were talking, sitting in the dining room normally where we would sit, um, and he was just talking to me about how how cool his dad was. Like he told me that he used to be in the Irish mob. Um, that he knows if he ever got into a situation that he he knows how to clean up blood and things like that. Did he tell you how he knew how to clean up? I don't remember the exact words, but he said he would use two like some kind of soda, like a some kind of pop and something else. What else did you talk about? Um, man, pretty much if I, basically like him and around that time, him and my girlfriend were at odds and he was just talking about like how we would get more money if we were single and like I need to get rid of my girlfriend so we could basically enjoy life more and just do more things. The, it was mainly about how much he was a badass and like he was a, yeah, he was a badass and I'm, you know what I'm saying? I'm, I could like, I have access to these, this amount of drugs and we could get money this way. Like my dad used to be this and I know how to, you know, do just, um, I want to call it, but yeah, I don't know, I don't know what to say. Like, it was just like a bunch of talking. I kind of was basically uncomfortable just with the talk because like I've never even met his dad you know what I'm saying I don't know anything about the Irish mob so that's not a conversation I could even entertain Mario found it odd that the man he barely knew was bearing his soul in such bizarre and potentially compromising ways, though he assumed much of it was induced by Jared's overindulgence in drugs and alcohol. Jared Chance's father, James, was actually a formerly retired sergeant with the Rock Island, Illinois Major Cases Unit, who had previously spent time as both a detective and investigator. After wrapping up his career in law enforcement, James Chance became a licensed professional counselor. It seemed strange enough that his own son would brag to others about an alleged Irish mob connection. As young men often do, Jared's downstairs neighbor Mario took the talk in stride, chalking the entire discussion up to a simple flex of masculinity. Though it is unclear if Ashley Young knew the full extent of Jared's often bizarre and violent temperament, she decided to connect with him again, this time for drinks, several days later on November 28th, 2018. Ashley Young arrived in Grand Rapids early on Wednesday evening, and not knowing the appropriate entryway up to Jared Chance's apartment, she parked her Ford Focus in the rear parking area of the rental and knocked at the back door. Jared's downstairs neighbor Mario answered. Did you answer the door? Yes, sir. Did she introduce herself? Um, no, she didn't say much. Like, once I opened the door, like, the only, don't nobody, I don't have people come to the back door. So, after, my words were to her, you must be here for Jared. He, and her response was, yeah. So, what do you do at that point? I think at that point, if I remember correctly, I text his phone and told him somebody was downstairs because he had music playing at the time. Oh. <clears throat> uh, did she go up to the defendant's apartment? Yes. Did she go up by herself? No. She went up and he, like, he hollered down and told me I could come up because he was about to smoke. So, like, a couple steps after her, I came up, yes. Um, anybody else in the apartment uh, while you're up there? No, sir. 
Uh, so it's uh, you, Ashley, and the defendant. Yes, sir. What's everyone doing? Um, when I come in, when I came in the door, he was in the kitchen, and she was, I believe, in his bedroom or in the bathroom. Okay. Like, and me and him were talking, and she came out like for a brief second. We, you know, introduced ourselves. He, this is Ashley Mario, and she walked back towards the room. Mario Nelson only stayed in the apartment for a few minutes while he and Jared got high. Ashley Young patiently waited and used Jared's bathroom to get ready for their night out on the town. Jared and Ashley were planning to go to Mulligan's Pub, a hole-in-the-wall local joint that didn't attract as much of the college crowd from the surrounding areas. Ashley had also brought along her hookah, a large tobacco smoking apparatus with long flexible tubes that allows small groups to enjoy flavored tobacco together. They had also planned to make a stop at the East Town Hookah Lounge which was located in the same commercial development as Mulligan's, both of which were just a short one-mile drive up the road from Jared's apartment. What time? I think it was it was between midnight and one around then. I know our cameras are like 15 minutes faster than they used to be then for some reason, so the timestamp is a little bit off for the actual time, but yeah. Did Ashley stay at Mulligan's the entire night? No. Where, where did she kind of traverse? Well, from, I mean, just where everyone like kind of goes, they normally go over to Hook Lounge. Mulligan's bartender, Emily Potgetter, remembered serving Ashley Young late on Wednesday evening. She recalled the young woman coming up to the bar to order drinks for herself and a male companion who was seated across the bar at a table. According to her description, the man was Jared Chance, and the two seemed to be getting along just fine. Is Ashley with anyone uh, that night? Yes. And, um, was she was a male or a female? He was a man. Uh, anybody else or just the one male? Not that I noticed. From actually serving Ashley that night, no one else came up to the bar with her. From on the camera and from knowing she was sitting with somebody else, but I didn't really see any other friends around. Okay. If you remember, uh, what was Ashley drinking that night? Uh, Patron. So I think one of them was Patron and Pineapple, but the other one was Patron on the Rocks. So it's two different drinks. And when you pour a drink <coughs> as liquor at Mulligan's, uh, what's the usual amount of alcohol? It's a two ounce pour. So it's pretty standard for most bars, too. What was uh, the male uh, drink? I believe it was Budweiser or Bud Light, but once again, Ashley was ordering the drink, so I can't 100%, but I know that she was the one drinking the tequila. Did Ashley open up a tab? Yeah, she opened a tab, but pretty sure it's very hard to remember, like, every night when you have so many different people coming in and ordering different drinks, because there was really nothing super exceptional, you know, about <coughs> that table. So until a couple days later, to try to think about, you know, all things that happened, but she opened a tab and then believed she paid cash at the end. Did Ashley seem uh, intoxicated to you? No. She seemed, like I said, it was very like run-of-the-mill, normal customer, nothing crazy, nothing, not being loud, not being, Do you remember if she finished both her drinks? That's why I don't think she finished the second one, because I... On Wednesdays, we don't have any busser or anyone to clean the tables, so I have to go clean the tables, so I normally, you know. So your recollection is that she ordered two, but she did not finish both of them? To the best of my memory, yes. How do you solve a crime in reverse? When you believe that someone was murdered, but have no clue who the victim was. We have to do our job, and we have to find out who did they kill, if it's possible. How are we going to do that? I'm Jake Halpern, and this is Deep Cover, The Nameless Man. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
At some point late on Wednesday evening, Ashley's mother, Christine, began calling and texting her daughter. She wanted to connect to make sure they were still on to meet Thursday morning. Ashley was supposed to visit with a friend who had just gotten out of surgery and then was planning to meet her mother at a Kalamazoo apartment where she was planning to sign a lease. But Christine Young's repeated calls and texts went unanswered all through the night. At one point, fearing the worst, Christine Young texted her daughter an ultimatum. Please answer your phone or I'm calling the police. Nobody's heard from her. I panic. I called the state police post. I talked to um, a state police officer and I asked him, my daughter is missing, nobody has heard from her, people that hear from her on a daily basis, because we all know that doesn't matter what age they are, they're always on their phone. Ashley was never not on her phone. Uh, nobody had heard from her. So he told me because she was in Kalamazoo, um, that was her residence, I had to file a missing person report in Kalamazoo. Is that where you live as well? No. I live in Grand Haven. Christine Young immediately started contacting Ashley's friends and acquaintances, one by one, until she found out where her daughter went on Wednesday evening. When she finally heard who Ashley drove to meet that night, she immediately suspected trouble. Did you have, whether it was true or not, did you have information as to who Ashley was with? Oh, yes. What was your understanding of who she was with? She was with Mr. Chance. Uh, had you ever met uh, Mr. Chance before? No, I had not. Did you find your way to, uh, it's kind of like a bar called Mulligan's at some point on Saturday? Yes, we did. Why did you go to Mulligan's? Because Mr. Chance and I had a few conversations, not just texting, but over the phone. And um, he told me that they went to the hookah lounge and then to Mulligan's and then back to the hookah lounge. Ashley's mother finally gets in touch with Jared Chance via phone on Thursday. By then, she has already spoken to state police and plans to file a missing persons report first thing Friday morning when Kalamazoo police will accept it. Jared Chance willingly tells Christine everywhere he and Ashley went throughout the evening, but explains that she left when the night was through and that he hadn't seen her since. But Christine Young wasn't buying it. Her and her partner Dana drove to Grand Rapids and began looking for any sign of Ashley. That same day on Thursday, Jared's downstairs neighbor Mario recalled that he came knocking explaining that he needed his help out back in the rear parking lot. He actually knocked on my back door and he said, uh, the girl, you know, but he used a different word, you know what I'm saying? She locked her keys in her car, you know what I'm saying? Can you help me get out? What are the words he used? This bitch, excuse my language. But, so, sure, you know what I'm saying? I was smoking marijuana at the time. Um, I come out the back door, the trunk is like halfway, like it's like maybe it's open, but it's not like open. So I tell him, why don't you just climb through the trunk, like get through the seat, you know what I'm saying? Like you get the car, like, you know, everybody, he, his words to me were, bro, you do it, you're small, you know what I'm saying? You're a small guy, you can slide right through there, so... I, you know, think, don't think about it. Sure, climb, you know, I climb through the um, trunk, get out in the back seat, open the back door, get out the car, and then I go back in the house. After helping his neighbor gain access into Ashley Young's 2006 Ford Focus, Mario Nelson goes back inside of his lower-level apartment. He never sees the beige four-door car, Ashley Young, or his upstairs neighbor, Jared, again. Meanwhile, Christine Young formally reports Ashley missing to Kalamazoo police on Friday morning after it was confirmed that she didn't show up for work at the PNC Bank call center, a job she thoroughly enjoyed with coworkers that she admired. But something wasn't adding up. Jared Chance had been exchanging text messages with Christine, at one point even mentioning that he'd actually spoken to Ashley early on Friday morning and that she was, quote, heading out to work. 
but none of it made any sense. So Christine continued probing Jared for more and more information, eventually trying to get his address so that she could come visit him in person and take a look around his Franklin Avenue apartment herself. But he eventually became more and more evasive with her. At times throughout Saturday, Jared indicates that he cannot talk to Christine because he's at work and after a period of a number of hours of not responding at all, explains via text message that he forgot to pay his cell phone bill and that his phone had been shut off. Jared Chance even suggested to Christine at one point that Ashley was simply having trouble with her phone and that she had just visited his friend Demetrius Taylor to use his. He gave Christine Demetrius's phone number, but not after calling and texting his friend himself first with a bizarre request. You remember talking to a lady on the phone uh, by the name of Christine Young? Yes. Before you talked to Christine, uh, you got a phone call from the defendant, correct? Yes, sir. And you answered the phone? Yes, sir. And did you, you recognize uh, Jared's voice? Yes, sir. And what is it that the defendant was uh, asking of you? Um, first, originally he called, asked me to hang out. I told him I had to get dressed, uh, that um, I hit him up back once I get dressed. Because I was hanging up, he said that uh, his, his friend mom was going to call me, tell her that she came by my house, used my phone, and left. Hang on. But I understand you correctly when we talked before. You get a phone call from Jared telling you that his friend's mother is here to call you. Yes, sir. And he asked you to tell the mom that she was with you. That Yeah, that she came by my house, she was my phone, and I left. Okay. So the friend asked you to tell the mom that she, she had come by your place, used your phone, and left. Yes. Did he tell you anything else? No. Did he give any instructions on to tell this woman where you live? Not initially. That's all he said. Okay. He said not initially. Did he mm -hmm. tell you something afterwards? Well, he sent me texts. Okay. And uh, as I was getting dressed, he sent, she called like right afterwards. So I didn't know the number I was getting dressed. I didn't answer. Mm -hmm. Then I got a text from him saying, Answered it on the phone, excuse me. So, he, he like, we were bumpy, so he know how I am. Well, hang on. Like, about cursing at me. Like, you don't, you know, like, so that kind of made me, like, you know, whatever. So, when she called back, I answered the phone. And um, I initially didn't get the first, well, see the first text where he was like, tell her that I live in Kalamazoo and, and things like that. So, because I was getting up to get dressed. And um, so she uh, called me the second time I answered and I just told her like, I don't know your daughter, I never met your daughter. Like, if you and her came to my house door right now, I wouldn't be tell which one who was who. And so she kind of got, I mean, uh, upset with me, but understandably, and she talked about calling the cops, and I told her that she had my number and everything. If you know you need me, she, she more than welcome to call me back. But I didn't know her daughter, so the Saturday went past. Friday came, I mean Sunday came, and she called me again. So when she called me, I answered. And she was saying that he had changed his number and did I have another number for him? So I told her the number that I had. She said, yeah, that number's off. After piecing together as many of Ashley's movements Wednesday night into Thursday morning as she could, police finally attempt to make contact with Jared on Saturday, December 1st, as he was the last known contact to have reportedly seen Ashley Young alive. But when they knock on his upstairs apartment entryway door, no one responds so they leave. Meanwhile, Christine Young continues on with her own investigation, desperately searching for Ashley, driving circles around Grand Rapids, desperately searching for any signs. After Jared's phone mysteriously went offline on Sunday morning, Christine Young reached back out to Demetrius, 
after he confirmed with her that not only did Ashley not come by his house and use his phone, but that he has never heard of or personally met her daughter at all. They both decide at that point that it appears Jared Chance is hiding something and that they're going to work together to find Ashley. So when you finally talk to Christine Young, I understood your testimony correctly. You tell her, I don't know who Ashley is, I don't know who you are, I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, sir. Does this text message from the defendant telling you to tell her you stay in Kalamazoo too, does that come in while you're talking to Christine? It had to, that's, that's probably why I didn't see it. Because I think when I seen that message is when she came to my house because I told her about one of the ones, that one that say, at the bottom that says, you just fucked me. I was telling her about that one and I didn't want to open it until either she was present or a cop was present. I didn't want to open it. So just so the, the jury's clear, these messages, your initial conversation with Christine are on Friday. You eventually met Christine in person on Sunday, correct? Yes, sir. Okay. When you met with Christine on Sunday, did you guys compare text messages and whatnot? Yes. Okay. So what's the next one that the uh, defendant sent you here? That's the one when he said, answer the damn phone, fool. And tell her she just left. But come to find out she wasn't at his house. What's the next one? Or text her and tell her she just left for work. And the next one? You're fucking stupid, bro. And then the next two? You just fucked me. Bro, delete all these messages. After Jared Chance asked his friend and co-worker Demetrius Taylor to lie for him, and then, perhaps more alarmingly, to delete their string of text messages, Demetrius decides to meet up with Christine Young, and they both head over to Jared Chance's apartment at 922 Franklin Avenue on Sunday, December 2nd. But what they don't yet realize at the time is that their presence at Jared Chance's apartment will quickly set into motion a series of events that will ultimately lead to a grisly discovery on the property. Well, it was a knock on the first, it was a guy knocked on the door. Um, we didn't answer that, we didn't answer that door. But then like a few, like two to five minutes later, it was a girl knocked on the door. And I looked out the window um, and she was like looking in the garbage can. Mm. Is it after those folks were there that Got Mario to go yes, yes. Yakisha and Mario are startled at first when Demetrius Taylor knocks at the back door. After peeking outside and realizing that neither one of them recognized the man outside, they decided not to answer. But just moments later, while looking out one of their windows, they saw Christine Young on the property, frantically rifling through their garbage cans, looking for any sign of her daughter, Ashley. In that moment, Having recently learned themselves of Ashley's disappearance, everything begins to fall into place as Yakisha and Mario realize they may have been living just a few feet away from Ashley's body all along. So Thursday would be the 29th of November. You came over at nighttime? Yes, around 8 p.m. And tell the jury what, what it is you noticed. Um, I first noticed when I unlocked the door uh, that my washing dryer was moved over. It was kind of towards my door, so if you wanted to open it, you couldn't. Why did you notice that? It was it just was out of place. I mean, you know, you walk in your home, you you know what it is, and you know what's in place, and that was out of place. Now, the washer and dryer itself is not inside your apartment. It's just outside. Yes. The first sign of trouble came the evening of Thursday, November 29th, just the night after Ashley Young first went missing, when Mario's girlfriend came home from work at around 8 p.m., and noticed that the stackable washer-dryer units had been moved away from the basement door and the rear common breezeway. Enough so that she could barely get into her and Mario's downstairs apartment. When I was well, entering the home, it, it was a smell. Like a, it was 
like shit. I'm sorry, like like sewage. I'm sorry. How bad? It was really bad. I went to the store to get some incense. Like store get some some incense. Mm-hmm. Did that help? Yeah, I mean, it, it did a little. It covered the smell a little bit. It, was that smell there on Friday? Um, not as much. It was no, not as much. It was a. Uh, at Friday, it was uh, like a, a burning smell. Burning smell. Yeah, like a burnt smell. How about Saturday? Um, Saturday. Um, I was in and out, so, I mean, the, but the burn smells, it wasn't smell like sewage anymore. By Sunday, both Mario and Yakisha realized that the intense odor seemed to be emanating from the basement. And after she alerted him that it appeared as though their washer and dryer units had been moved, Mario decided to head down into the dark, unfinished space to investigate further. How did you get into the basement? Um... On through the side of the washer, like it had, it was already moved to the side a little bit, and I just slid, slid right on the side of it. What do you see? Tell the jury what you see when you go downstairs into that basement. When I first went down there, like I didn't, I went. There's no light, light on the stairs, so it's like pretty dark. So when I first slide on the side of the washer, I open the door just so some light can shine down. But upon walking down there, like, you can't see nothing. But once I come back up to the, to the stairs, there's a tarp, a tarp laying there. And it's like just a stream of blood out of it. What do you do when you see a tarp with a stream of blood? Run upstairs and have my girlfriend call the cops. Yakisha immediately phones 911 and explains what Mario has found in their shared basement. A dark-colored insulated tarp that appears to have been wrapped in clear tape. It's about the size of a human torso. The tarp is laying across the bottom three stairs in the cold, dark basement, and there appears to be blood leaking out the bottom. Responding police are on the scene within minutes, startling Demetrius and Christine, who are still within eyeshot of the house. Grand Rapids Police Patrol Sergeant Greg Alcala is first on scene with two other officers. After briefly meeting with Mario and Yakisha in the side alleyway of the home, he asks them if Ashley was there and explains that everyone needs to calm down and that police themselves aren't even convinced the 31-year-old is missing yet. While walking around to the common area of the property, to the basement door, Sergeant Alcala's body camera captures him informing another officer that Jared Chance actually made an appearance at Grand Rapids Police Headquarters earlier in the day with his father, but that he declined to speak to anyone unless they provided him with an attorney. Sergeant Alcala's body camera also captures the moment he enters the dark, unfinished basement at 922 Franklin Avenue with the other two officers. With his service weapon in one hand and a flashlight in the other, he systematically clears each room in the pitch-black, unfinished space before returning to the black tarp at the base of the stairs to investigate further. He leans in and aims his flashlight at the bottom of the tarp and briefly lifts it up for a moment. His reaction is telling to those on scene. Sergeant, can you describe what you smelled when you went into that basement? Um, the only way to describe it is uh, it, it was uh, the, the smell of death, um, the smell of death and decay. 
Um, it's a very distinct odor. And you didn't find anybody else in that basement, correct? That's correct. Once you see what you believe to be skin, you just saw you murdered everybody else. Correct. We, at that point, it became a crime scene um, and uh, removed everybody from the home, secured the residence so that uh, detectives could come up to the scene and investigate further. Between the time that you order everybody out and the detectives are showing up, anybody else go downstairs in that area? No, nope. Um, I assigned an officer to a position at the top of the stairwell there into the basement so nobody went in or out. After noting what appeared to be bloodied skin protruding from beneath the tarp, Grand Rapids police quickly form a perimeter around the home and evacuate Mario and Jakisha from their apartment. They work to quickly secure a search warrant and probable cause affidavit to take Jared Chance into custody. Documents they have in hand a few hours later, just after darkness fell on Sunday night. Uh, we were told that there was a homicide in the city and that... Uh possibly had a suspect on the second level of the address at 922 Franklin, uh, and that there was a body in the basement. So what do you do when you arrive on scene? Uh, we were briefed up by our uh, sergeant's intense, and we moved up with our armored car, our ARV, made some announcements in the front yard, and then and we ended up going inside. Sergeant Grant Abraham of the Grand Rapids Police's special response team worked with a small army of other officers to clear the first floor apartment on Sunday night before approaching Jared Chance's upstairs. Police had no idea if the 29-year-old was actually home or if he had already fled town. They cautiously approached his upstairs apartment through the front stairwell and about halfway up on the small landing where the stairs turned left, they noticed what appeared to be a large cardboard box with a black plastic trash bag inside. Next to that, a large standing fan box, and a small purple tote. Officers also noted a pair of women's black leather boots on the stairs. Though they were intently focused on taking Jared Chance into custody, police quickly realized that none of the items now there on the front landing were actually present just the day before, on Saturday, when police first attempted to make contact with Jared. After repeatedly signaling the 29-year-old with a loud foghorn and demanding that he exit the upstairs apartment, he finally appeared from behind the door at the top of the stairs. His squinted eyes and long thermal underwear outfit alerting police that he had likely already gone to bed for the night and had no idea of the ensuing chaos developing beneath his apartment. Jared Chance is quickly arrested and taken into custody without incident. Throughout the whole process, he is bizarrely calm and makes small talk with police as they transport him to Grand Rapids headquarters. Meanwhile, Crime scene technicians processing the grisly scene inside the home at 922 Franklin Avenue encounter a horrifically tragic trail of evidence strewn about Jared Chance's upstairs apartment and downstairs in the basement. It's the same um, black tarp. Um, those are the same basement stairs, and uh, it's apparent blood originating from under that tarp. That's a close-up of the plastic wrap um, wrapped and around and within the black tarp. It's the black and green tarp, um, and the medical examiner is starting to open the tarp up, and you can see uh, human skin. In this photograph, it's when we uh, fully opened up the black tarp, and you can see a female torso located within the tarp. Torso facing up or facing down? Facing down. Is that how you located her as you unwrapped it? Correct, yes. Crime scene technicians discovered a nude female torso, lying face down, wrapped tightly in the tarp. The head, arms, and legs had all been dismembered and were nowhere to be found in the basement. Though DNA analysis wouldn't confirm the identity of the partial remains until five days later on December 7th, Ashley's mother Christine already knew that it was her daughter that police had discovered there in Jared Chance's house of horrors. The condition of Ashley's body baffled investigators and Kent County Chief Deputy Medical Examiner, Dr. David Start. The method in which Ashley Young had been dismembered appeared very deliberate and intentional. As mentioned initially, the uh, uh, deceased was unidentified, uh, consisted of a, uh, a torso uh, without the 
uh, well, amputation margin at the uh, lower neck, so no upper neck or head, uh, and uh, also amputation margins at the knees uh, and at the upper arms. And then separate from the torso were the uh, right and left arms, uh, absent the hands, and the lower legs, uh, absent the feet. And that was of a, a white uh, female. Ashley Young's dismembered arms and legs, each missing the corresponding hands and feet, were discovered in the brown cardboard box that police found on the front landing on their way upstairs into Jared Chance's apartment. There was still a bright white shipping label on the box for all to see. It read, Jared Chance, 922 Franklin Avenue, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Ashley Young had been carefully, almost surgically dismembered, limb from limb, hand from arm, and foot from leg. Uh, the limbs it, uh, all occurred af after death. Again, there's no blood in the, in the tissue, in the fat, the muscle, no blood associated with these amputation margins, so this occurred after death. And the, um, the arms were uh, severed at the upper arm uh, through the tissue, and then the bone uh, margin, the humerus on each side, was cut through uh, with a uh, cutting device that made a very uh, sharp edge through the bone. So something that is not, not a chopping, so it wouldn't be similar to an axe or a hatchet, but a very uh, sharp, smooth cut uh, a device that would perhaps be able to cut through either uh, plastic pipe or, or metal pipe, something of that nature where you get a nice smooth cut through the bone. And then the, uh, the hands were amputated through the joint space. And again, I did not have the hands available, but the, what was remaining was the wrist, and that amputation went through the joint. So the, any sort of cutting object getting into the joints, uh, a knife of any sort where you're cutting through the tissue, through the skin and through the tissue. Uh, for the legs, the uh, right leg was uh, amputated through the knee, and that actually went through the knee joint. So going through the skin, the muscle, the tendons, the ligaments, right through the knee joint for the right leg. The left leg, the soft tissue was at around the knee, but the bone was actually cut, the thigh bone, the femur bone for the left leg was cut through, similar to the cuts in the humerus, a nice smooth edge. Uh, and again, the, the lower legs, which were separate, from the body, the feet had been amputated through the ankle joint. So that's going through the soft tissue into the joint space of the ankle itself. And that's uh, how the feet were removed. Crime scene technicians searched the property at 922 Franklin Avenue, inside and out, but were never able to recover Ashley's head, hands, or feet. Two detectives assigned her case it felt like an intentional maneuver by Ashley's killer to reduce any possibility of an accurate manner of death ruling coming as a result of her eventual autopsy. Something the medical examiner explained seemed an appropriate explanation. Uh, that's correct. In my opinion, her cause of death would be related to uh, tissue that I did not have available uh, to me, such as the, the head and neck. Now, there was no uh, cause of death that I identified in the torso uh, or the extremities that I examined. As a, a forensic pathologist, we uh, not infrequently will have remains in uh, conditions either of, of decomposition or, as in this case, we don't have complete remains. And so, as a forensic pathologist, we take all that into account as far as the circumstances uh, to determine a, a manner of death. And so, for instance, if we have a body that's so decomposed that we can't find a specific uh, cause because the tissue is so deteriorated or sometimes even skeletonized. I've had cases where the body's been in the woods and it's nearly skeletonized. And so, as a forensic pathologist, we take into account the circumstances of, of how she's found uh, in the investigation to determine a manner of death. And again, manners of death are either natural accident, suicide, or homicide. Given the circumstances, in particular the post-mortem dismemberment and concealment of the remains, uh, in my opinion, the manner of death is homicide.
for someone who allegedly bragged just days before that he knew how to get away with the perfect murder. It seemed that Jared Chance had left behind a barrage of circumstantial evidence inside of his apartment that clearly demonstrated his guilt. Crime scene technicians and detectives quickly identified the likely spot where Ashley Young had been killed, near the small pantry closet in Jared Chance's kitchen. <clears throat> there was uh, what appeared to be a darkened red-colored stain. Our objective was to try and uh, chip away the tile there and see if it was, uh, if we could do a presumptive test as to whether or not it was blood. I actually had to chisel it away because it was like old-style, really thick tile. So I actually grabbed the chisel and hammer and hammered away for her. But yes, we did. Well, actually, the day before, I noticed that there was a bunch of dishes in the kitchen sink, and uh, it appeared that somebody had poured Ajax, the green cleaner, over all the dishes and left them sitting in the sink. Um, I recognized that as we had a homicide several years ago where they had tried to destroy DNA evidence by placing cleanser on the, on the uh, victim of that homicide. Uh, so I suspected that that may be the case here. The dishes were not washed, they were just left there. Um, so I checked. On the, on the fourth, um, instead of just observing the dishes like I did the day before, I actually went inside to the sink area to see if I could um, ascertain if there's any blood or flesh or anything like that. In the sink itself, there was none visible. Uh, so I removed the trap of the kitchen sink, and in so doing, the same thing. I was looking for blood, uh, flesh, any type of particles that may be inside the trap itself. And when I pulled it off, there was what appeared to be a, a small piece of, of human tissue. The deeper investigators dug into Jared Chance's upstairs apartment and the dark, dingy basement at 922 Franklin Avenue, the more evidence they uncovered and the more reason they eventually had to believe that after killing Ashley Young, there was little chance that Jared acted alone in cleaning up the mess. But what would ultimately lead investigators back to his childhood home, some 30 miles southwest to Holland, Michigan? Tune in to Invisible Choir next time or check us out at patreon.com slash invisible choir to find out.